You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Alan Shoes. He's the book critic for NPR's All Things Considered. He's also an author. His latest book is A Trance Before Breakfast. It's a collection of travel essays, and his latest novel is To Catch the Lightning. Thank you for joining me, Alan. It's a pleasure, Rick. Now, uh, Alan, let's talk first about Kevin Canty's Everything. Yeah. And one of the things I, that this book makes me see think about was, had I just encountered this book, mm-hmm. I would have looked at this for about two seconds, and my eyes would have glazed over, and I would have said, no way. Mm-hmm. But um, here's something for the publishers. I had just before read his collection of short stories, Where the Money Went, mm-hmm. which was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And that short story collection sold me mm-hmm. on the novel and got me to a place where I might not otherwise have think, thought I would have got so to. So you're saying publish those short story collections? Yeah, I'm right. telling the publishers that they need to keep those short story collections coming because they actually manage to sell books and give us bite-sized pictures of authors who we might not otherwise pick up. Oh, yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, you know, the, 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 the oldest saw in the world is that the novel is dead. Uh, I love what Malamud said about that in his Paris Review interview many, many decades ago. The, the interviewer said, is the novel dead? And he says, the novel will be dead when the penis is dead. <laughs> but so, And then the second oldest saw in the publishing business, at least with respect to what they publish, is that short stories are over, right? I mean, it's, it's really uh, kind of astonishing when you see the number of short story collections that come into the bookstores or come across your desk if, mm-hmm. you know, you're you or me, uh, people write short stories. They're wonderful to write. I mean, I love to make short stories. Um, and it, it helps you to finish a novel more quickly to think that once you finish it, you can go back to writing a couple of short stories before you start another novel. Well, it's also just a great way to read. Uh, it's a very different kind of reading experience from mm-hmm. the novel. And it's a great way to break up uh, you're reading between novels to give yourself, you know, flavors from a couple different writers. And we'll be talking about another collection of short stories later on. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this Kevin Canty book because this is a very classic slice of Americana, I mm-hmm. think. It's, there's some wonderful novels that come out of the Intermountain West. I mean, the, you know, the Montana gang uh, <laughs> of uh, Richard Ford and William Kittredge uh, uh, and uh, Canty, who... Is, I guess now wears the Montana laurel since Kittredge is playing golf in Arizona and Ford has long ago moved to Maine. But um, it, it, the, the landscape is so vast that when you meet a character, I mean, <laughs> you focus on them. You know, that's an interesting uh, perception I, that I hadn't thought about, that in novels like this where the landscape really is a major character it enables it's a different kind of character so when you meet the human characters embedded in this bigger character that's the american landscape then this is the classic 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 american landscape um you you engage with them i think more and in a more uh uh, as a reader, you engage with them in a different way. Yeah, you move some, through that environment. It's almost like watching somebody in a Beckett play, uh-huh. you know, because the, the the stage is so stark. <laughs> Although even the mountain ranges that appear now and then uh, in this novel, 
shift and change with the seasons, mm -hmm. uh, with snowfall and rain and, and light. I mean, light is a major actor in, in the stories and novels about the Intermountain West. Ah, interesting. That's so there's a lot of uh, shifting uh, perceptions and, and shifting visions that, that uh, float through this book. But the main thing is these characters are trying to make their way, uh, most of them through midlife, uh, although there's a young girl in this who, by contrast, the daughter of the main character, who's known by his initials R.L., who runs a river guide business, uh, he's got this long-legged daughter who is desperately, madly in love with some graduate student in Seattle and who's giving her nothing back. And, and she begins this affair with one of her father's uh, employees, a younger river god who's married uh, and who over the course of the novel um, impregnates his wife for, for a second time, I guess it is. Um, it, it's uh, just a novel with people who are have a lot of serious but you know plain vanilla troubles. So in that respect, it's a, a, a wonderful human comedy. Um, you know, you don't need big troubles, all you need is to be loving somebody who doesn't love you, or love somebody who won't leave his wife, uh, or uh, love somebody who's uh, dying of cancer, I mean, you know, just these seemingly insurmountable problems are bigger than the mountains, and they, they give people a lot to wrestle with in a novel like this. Well, the voice in this novel is so, uh, has the same kind of clarity you feel as the air. Mm -hmm. I, I think it really, that's one of the things where when you live in these landscapes, I think it must really change the way you see people mm -hmm. and the way that you use language because there's, the voice in this is just like hearing somebody in the crisp, cool morning air. You can really yeah. catch, you, you can feel them really close. One of my old teachers, alas, now dead, a man named John McCormick, used to say, well, the, the desert and the mountains, uh, those are places for painters, not for writers, because the light takes precedence over, over uh, narrative, over movement, over forward motion. But Candy uh, manages to combine both landscape and uh, psychological uh, innovation here and really interesting ways. And, and he, you notice he, he um, I don't know how deliberate it is, but it seems like an homage to uh, Joan Didion in Play It As It Lays, where he uses a lot of white space between paragraphs, mm -hmm. um, which I really liked. Um, it it's, uh, gave me a way of meditating on what just transpired. I could stare at the white space and think about what just transpired and then move on to the next action sequence. Well, you know, it, it also it reflects the landscape, the mm -hmm. open spaces in, in the landscape itself. And I, I really love a, a novel where the characters are all, you know, um, economically, uh, there are, nobody's rich here. I mean, this is a novel where we have real people with real problems and we can get to the heart of the human and, and not have to mess around. Although uh, R.L.'s, the, the widow of R.L.'s best friend, uh, whom he fishes with now and then, and, and the novel opens, it's the anniversary of her husband's death, his, his best friend's death, and, and uh, she's wondering what to do with her life, and then some other little kind of creepy little entre local entrepreneur comes in and says she can sell her house for a couple million, which she does, <laughs> and then she has to wonder what to do with her life with money, mm. as, as opposed to what to do with her life without money. Well, it's a, it's 
it's still it's a the perception of life without money that that I think dominates the novel and it's it's just an interesting view of people that these seem like people we might know we might meet we mm-hmm. might might be our neighbors mm-hmm. there's a <clears throat> an accessibility i guess to these characters no matter mm-hmm. who they are that makes that allows us to get into them and through them explore their landscape and yeah. their psychological landscape yeah you know C- candy is a he, he's a, a, an expat from california i think he was born in california mm-hmm. maybe in riverside or place like that but uh, he's he's done well to fit his talent to the montana landscape i think now, uh, another California writer that we are going to talk about is Kim Stanley Robinson. And we were also talking about short stories earlier. Mm-hmm. And for as much as the short story is, I think, looked down upon by publishers of mainstream and literary fiction in terms of income, on the other hand, in the science fiction world, where uh, Robinson primarily operates, it's the short story is very strong. It's a vital part of the form, and he is an excellent practitioner right. it's, it's of it. Because the, the magazines have kept the, keep the faith with the readers, and the magazines always put, publish short stories. That's, that's a really important uh, thing to notice, I think. And this collection is a collection by a guy who I think is is a great is another great American writer and, and very interesting. He certainly rises above any uh, cliches about the genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he, he's published these three trilogies, not, not to mention his other books. Uh, really interesting. The the uh, book about the discovery of America, but well, the, the setup is the Black Plague has wiped out most of Europe, and so there are no European explorers mm-hmm. left. And uh, uh, the Arabs on the East Coast and, the, and the, uh, the Chinese on the West Coast really become the discoverers of America, and so the culture is completely changed. Yeah, it's, that's the years of rice and salt. Right. Yeah, that's a, a wonderful alternate history, something that he does really well. And my favorite example in this book is The Lucky Strike, mm-hmm. which is a, a novel of, uh, of the uh, first use of the atomic bomb. Right. It's an alternative history story, right? Yes, and it's really superb. It, it's, get, it grips you with this vision of, of history, not as it happened, but in a way as it's felt, and, and I think that's what he does yeah, I mean well. the the novels. I mean the the, the terraforming of Mars series. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it red Mars, red, blue, blue Mars, Mars and, and green Mars? Green Mars. You know, it's interesting. With uh, Robinson, you might think that he's a scientist and or an engineer or comes from that background because he's those an English major from, English. from UC Davis. Yeah. Or wait a minute, was it UC Davis or, or UC Irvine? I'm UC right. Irvine. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Wrote his dissertation on Philip K. Dick. Right. And. and but those Mars novels have been lauded by engineers and mm-hmm. space scientists as something that, A, could be done, and mm-hmm. B, should be done. Mm-hmm. And they have a wonderful kind of utopian uh, vision of humanity. Right. And then, then he's got his global warming series, Which uh, you know, as a mostly, uh, most of the year resident of uh, Washington, D.C., I found that really kind of uh, interesting, <laughs> especially when even in the high parts of the city uh, around the zoo begin to flood to the treetops. Yeah. Now, um, so one of the things I, I like about this book, too, is just the way that he, you know, he uses the, the genre toolkit uh, in the way that it's best 
used, which is to talk about things in a way that you can't otherwise talk about them. And that's what I think science fiction strength is, is to mm -hmm. get at problems, bring something out in the open that you cannot otherwise just can't discuss either mm -hmm. logically or philosophically. Yeah, which, which stories are you thinking about in that regard? Well, I'm thinking about the translator for one. Yes, the translator. <laughs> which right. is a really a delightful, uh, he's also funny too, this, yeah. this helps. Yeah, the, the translator's a, a lot of fun. Um, this planet somewhere out in deep space, uh, which uh, has a, 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 what, what does he do there? He's, the, the human being is just sort of in resonance there as a kind of entrepreneur yeah, because yeah. of the mining that they do there. And, and he has to, he has to uh, uh, referee uh, an impending clash of civilizations between a kind of hippopotamus-like undersea creature that lives there and a, a very ugly uh, bird-like uh, species that also lives there, and they're getting ready for a ritual war. And he uses his translation machine uh, in order to to negotiate or or, or um, uh, kind of what, what's the word I'm looking for for here. He 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 uh, takes uh, the role of trying to keep this war from going on at least for another two hundred thousand years, or so that he can get the mining interests. Uh, all they're worth out of that planet. And uh, it, that was a lot of fun and serious at the same time. Yeah. It, what, what I found really interesting about the, this collection of stories, I've read, what, 20 of them? Um, you know, he's written, Robinson's written all these novels over the years, mm -hmm. really engaging, uh, engrossing, and intelligent, entertaining novels. And he'll write a story uh, in between novels, which is the way I do it so i think he must be right uh, <laughs> and uh, over the years this is about 20 years worth of stories and it adds up to a really substantial volume um, and he plays with uh, with the form these are not all uh, sort of died in the world science fiction stories like the translator which is a pleasure to read but mm -hmm. there's also uh, there's a, a a borges story called vinland the dream um there's some historical fiction not only that alternative uh historical story in uh, The Lucky Strike, but uh, a story called Black Air about mm -hmm. the, the Spanish Armada, which I found fascinating. And uh, and there is uh, one of the most beautiful stories I've read, and I never expected to find a beautiful story in this collection. I mean, maybe this mm -hmm. shows my bias. Right? You can only find beauty in mainstream writers, but it's called A History of the 20th Century with Illustrations. That is really moving story about a... a, a a hack historian who's uh, enlisted by a, a, a publisher to write a history of the 20th century. And he travels around uh, unlikely locations in Europe trying to get ready to dig into the material and ends up with a vision of life that is really quite moving. That's one of, I think, Robinson's strong suits. He's very, he's very diverse yeah. in, in his ability to write about anything in, in, a, in an engaging manner. We also have a, a number of stories set in the uh, his Martian trilogy behind or behind between and around them mm -hmm. where he you know you get some of the the more the feel of these colonists and and as he points out, even if you're writing about utopia, things can go wrong yeah. <laughs> and, and do. Yeah. Let me start a war here. Is that I mean, is there any writer after Bradbury, who's written so beautifully about life on Mars? 
Ian McDonald has written mm. uh, a couple of stories, and Cage Baker have both oh, written yeah. some uh-huh. pretty substantial uh-huh. uh, stuff yeah, set yeah. on Mars. But um, not nobody like Robinson, and and I would say that that's a that's a uh, a line a connection that mm-hmm. that is that I have never made before, and that's a really interesting observation, because one of the things about Bradbury's novels. Uh, novel, The Martian Chronicles, is it's such a beautiful novel about mm-hmm. America. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, no matter when it's set, it's these novels are about when they're written. And, right. and I think that's the same is true of, of Robinson's trilogy. And that's an interesting observation, Alan. Well, we, we needed at least one from me this time around. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go to Harlem. Uh, yes. Go to the South and then to Harlem. With uh, Glorious by uh, Bernice McFadden. This is a, a lovely, engaging, huge historical novel that just grabs you and keeps you right there. But it's not that long a book, which is also great. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, now and then she'll miss with her language, but most of the time she's dead on, and, and, and it's, a, it's both a, an investigation of the degradation and misery of black life in in the post-slavery South, but it, it also is a way of celebrating black life in, 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 in the post-slavery South and, and up in Harlem. Um, nobody's really free for McFadden until they find uh, a way to speak about the world in a, in a great sort of great getting up morning kind of diction. And so she loves everything that her character sees. Um, this, this young woman who has wit- very early in life witnesses the degradation of her sister, humiliation of her father. She sees a lynching and uh, just sees the worst of the South uh, and then sign- runs away from home, signs on with a carnival, becomes apprentice to a, a, a lesbian carny dancer. And basically, she falls in love with her and then she takes a teaching job in, in I, guess, I guess, in Valdosta, Georgia, and uh, falls in love with one of her students, this big, hulking, 14-year-old guy. And by the time, and she has to leave there, but by the time she gets to Harlem, you know, she realizes she's pregnant and she's going to carry this man's child. And, and she has numerous uh, love affairs in Harlem, but her main love affair is with Harlem and, and with living life being alive and i think it's uh the title is appropriate well i think the the thing that really carries this novel for me is is the immersion in the characters that the that we we just the author clearly loves everybody mm-hmm. she writes about mm-hmm. even if they're not the, the, somebody you really want to know she loves humanity mm-hmm. and this really shows through in the language of the novel, in mm-hmm. the way she talks about the characters, and the way she moves, creates the character arcs. And the character arcs are very, very satisfying. Yeah, I, I, I hadn't read a word of hers before this book, and uh, I'm going to follow her from now on. I mean, she's a wonderful writer. It's, it's really, it also, uh, I think, creates, uh, again, uh, places as characters. We started with the the empty landscape mm-hmm. of uh, of the Midwest, and we end up in the teeming, human-filled, wonderful, loving city of Harlem. Yeah. It was a wonderful character in yeah. this book. And it, it's so great to just see somebody um, 
enter a human landscape because this is entirely Harlem is 100% made by humans. Mm-hmm. There's, there's right. no God-given anything there except for the humans themselves. And she manages, I think, to find the, the glorious nature of humans mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and evoke that in the landscape that we build. Yeah, it's a celebration of life that, uh, you know, I'd say most of the time is absolutely straightforwardly uh, joyous and insightful, uh, really kind of wonderful book. And the language, as you say, really the prose just really carries it. You yeah, know, we get in, we get into the minds of the characters and feel and enter the landscape with some really wonderful, memorable kind of read out loud language. Yeah, and you get a sense of the the diversity within Harlem. You know, most white people, without blinking an eye, look on Harlem as oh that black section of New York, but the diversity within Harlem is is. Uh, amazing as she portrays it. Every person is different from everyone else. Um, and so in that respect, uh, it's it's a really, as you say, a kind of celebration of, of human existence against, and sometimes against, great odds. I've been speaking with Alan Chews. He's the author of A Trance After Breakfast, which I apparently have entered, one before lunch. You have a trance before breakfast, you're not going to eat breakfast. (laughs) And uh, his newest novel is To Catch the Lightning. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Great pleasure, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.